I'm Brittany Hardin-Tangway, a manager with KPMG, and I am fascinated by the practice of transfer pricing and its impact on the global market. Join me each episode as I explore the transfer pricing world with specialists who will explain the ins and outs of this niche practice where tax meets economics. Welcome back to Exploring Transfer Pricing. We'll be continuing with our industry series. And with me today to talk about transfer pricing and financial services are Sharif Asif, a principal with WNT, Washington National Tax and Transfer Pricing, and who is also our global lead for the Transfer Pricing Asset Management Network. Hello, Sharif. Hi, Brittany. How are you? Wonderful. Also joining us is Elisanda Monforte, a partner with KPMG Spain in transfer pricing, who is the global lead for the Transfer Pricing Financial Services Network. Hola. Hola. Thanks for having us. I'm so glad you guys are both here. And I'm very humbled to be here with these global leads. So transfer pricing for financial services seems to me to be particularly interesting and important because the spirit of the rules are the same, but the application may be a little bit different. So let's just start by talking about what financial services encompasses. For the financial services industry, what we're really talking about for the most part is banking, insurance, and asset management, possibly also fintechs. This is an industry that by its sheer nature, it's very interconnected globally. Banks have a lot of transactions with their branches and with their network of affiliates, but so do insurance entities and asset managers that end up investing in multiple jurisdictions, holding assets in very many jurisdictions. And so it's an industry that has a lot of transferpricing challenges and transactions. This is an industry that is somewhat intimidating, and that's a little bit different maybe than some of the other industries that could be a little less intertwined at their core. So in approaching the regulations, they need to be adapted to some of the transactions that occur in the financial services industry. Also, when we face tax authorities, they need to have a certain expertise in that space. Yes, you have to deal with tax authorities and understand the businesses within the financial services sector. It's also important with respect to dealing with clients in the industry because they tend not to be very patient if you show up and you don't really know how the business works at a fundamental level. They can sense right away that you're not going to know what you're talking about. And so how are you going to do the transfer pricing analysis that's going to be required? You're talking about two very specific vocabularies and required background knowledge, and it can be quite intimidating for people to wrap their minds around. Sharif, what are some of the primary transfer pricing issues for asset management that you see? One of the interesting things is that asset management really encompasses various subsectors. You can talk about your traditional investment managers, mutual fund managers, for instance, the Black Rocks and the Fidelities of the world. As an example, then you also have private equity, and that's a whole different industry with its own issues. And you have hedge funds. Increasingly, now we have cryptocurrency. You have real estate investment funds. So each of them has its own sort of audience, its own issues. One simple example of transfer pricing issues is that when you have various types of investment funds, portfolios being managed by related parties in different countries, that raises natural transfer pricing issues, right? How much should each one of them be compensated for those management activities? How do you split the overall management fee? Or maybe you have an advisory, sub-advisory relationship where one party in one country is the main advisor, but for part or maybe even the whole of a portfolio, they might delegate the actual investment decisions to a related party somewhere else, so that a sub-advisor. 
how do you then compensate both of those parties? These types of activities raise transfer pricing issues in the industry. And on top of that, you have your more common transfer pricing issue that you find in any industries where you have the head office incurring certain costs to provide certain services to its affiliates. And how should you charge for that? There's IT that's being shared. There could be some questions of intangibles that come up. And how should that be compensated? That comes up in the industry as well. What about insurance? When you come to insurance transfer pricing, you have very similar types of issues, but I'll mention one unique type of activity that takes place, and that is the question of reinsurance, where you have an insurance company or a set of insurance companies, it could be life insurance, it could be property and casualty, that transfer their risk to related party reinsurers, and very often in low-tax jurisdictions. That is unique to the industry. How do you price that transfer? How do you price the premiums and other fees that should be charged with respect to such arrangements. That raises very unique issues. How about banking? It's also relatively unique is the fact that it's quite common that we have networks of branches. And so in banking and in insurance, we will then have issues where we have to look at the capital attribution for transfer pricing and tax purposes and where an asset is booked or where a policy is underwritten in which legal entities books. This makes it quite unique and this proves to be a challenging space. When we think about the branches in the financial services industry, they have an important role because it allows, for instance, in the European Union, for banks or insurance companies to operate under a single passport, meaning that they get supervised in just one jurisdiction for their footprint in the European Union, which from an operating model standpoint is very helpful and it's well beyond transpricing. One slightly unique aspect when it comes to financial services or let's say banking as an example branches is that maybe more of a focus required on the allocation of risk among those branches and the return on capital that is being used to support say a trading business or banking activities is a very important part of the transfer pricing policies of a banking institution and so when you have branches as you often do in banking, the allocation of that risk, the allocation of the attribution of that capital to individual branches becomes a very key component of your transfer price. That's something that is perhaps more stressed in the financial services sector to the point where the OECD, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, has specific guidance on the attribution of profits to branches in banking, in asset management, in insurance, in addition to their general guidance on how to treat branches for transfer pricing purposes. Just the sheer breadth, I think that's something a lot of people may not immediately come to appreciate about this industry in particular. I think people probably default to financial services, financial transactions. But as you have so eloquently laid out, there's a whole world of services and activities and cross-border transactions that are occurring beyond just borrowing money and paying it back, right? One thing that's very specific to the financial services industry is that transactions are fairly unique. So there's deposits and borrowing, and that's the default that you were talking about, Brittany. But then there are such a myriad of very unique transactions just because of their characterization, but also about how they are then priced, that it's not always easy to observe comparables and to rely on them to appropriately price the transactions. Sharif was talking about 
reinsurance transactions. The way that a reinsurance transaction is priced is probably much more complex than some of the other more garden variety transactions. So you have actuarial models and other proprietary models that you rely on. Often we will use the profit split because oftentimes we have multiple counterparties in different jurisdictions that are adding value and it's hard to call one the least complex party that we could test on a more routine basis. Do you think there are things that other industries could potentially learn from how transfer pricing is done in the financial services industry? I don't know that there are as many takeaways that are super relevant that other industries are not doing. One that I could think of is that there's more and more pressure and focus on operationalizing transfer pricing, making sure that it's not a process that happens in a spreadsheet sitting in somebody's desktop. You need to have the process and the governance and the traceability. That's also a reflection of this industry. It's already highly regulated and needs to be auditable, but also what you started with, just the sheer number of transactions. If you don't employ operational transfer pricing, it could get really out of hand. (laughs) To manage it all from a single spreadsheet would be quite intimidating. That's right. And it's not going to fly, right? Even from Mm -hmm. a regulatory Mm -hmm. standpoint, there's more and more challenges by the regulators. That risk of not getting the pricing right, because there are regulators that are potentially as concerned as tax authorities, makes operational transfer pricing all that much more important. So because of such huge risks, too, we talk about in transfer pricing, you have to be mindful of the functions, assets, and risks. Do you think, Sharif, that because of the nature of the transactions, the risks may be easier to measure in comparison to other industries, or do you think it's far more nuanced? I wouldn't necessarily say it's easier to measure. Maybe it is in some cases because there's more of a focus on it. There are certain industry tools that are available in terms of measuring and allocating risk that perhaps can be used for transfer pricing purposes. There's various statistical models that are used internally by the bank to perform those measurements. Very often, we can use those models in order to determine what the right transfer pricing treatment, the right allocation of that risk is for transfer pricing purposes among the relevant related parties. So if you can do that, then that could be a strong analysis because you are reflecting in your transfer pricing analysis the way the business is actually run. Speaking of how the business is run, are there unique issues about the financial services value chain practitioners need to consider? When we think about the value chain, we think a lot about people and about assets and about functions. Now, when we think about the financial services industry, many transactions are huge, but may not be managed by a lot of people. And so this value creation by a relatively small number of employees, Sharif, when you were talking about reinsurance, what it takes to manage a reinsurance company, it takes a number of very highly skilled employees that know how to underwrite and know how to manage the assets that are behind those insurance policies. But it could be a ginormous balance that's operated by 20, 30 people. Would you agree? I would agree. That's definitely a running theme in the financial services industry, whether it's banking, asset management, or insurance. The more traditional view of the need for people functions to create value that you might apply to other industries has a different twist when it comes to the financial sectors. You have to be very careful to make that kind of case in terms of evaluating transfer pricing policies. Rounding out the discussion, and particularly in light of base erosion profit shifting, BEPS, what are you seeing in terms of interest from tax authorities? 
we're seeing more activity from tax authorities. A lot of the activity tends to focus on intercompany transactions that are not necessarily unique to the industry. Things that they think more easily challenge like head office costs or are you charging for your brand name? But I do think that they are becoming more sophisticated in looking at the inner workings of the industry and then looking at the transfer pricing policy. I couldn't agree more. In the past, we used to see that some of the tax authorities that were less well-versed in that space tended to shy away from it. One of the key things in financial services is that it's undergoing a transformation. Their operating models are evolving. So there are increasing expenses and they are being allocated out to jurisdictions and this is catching the tax authorities' attention. So I think there is increasing scrutiny and the expectation is that it's going to continue. And non-tax regulators, we do see a lot of interest there in the last few years from financial regulators on transfer pricing policies for various reasons. So in asset management, for instance, you have various regulators, including the SEC here in the U.S., that are looking at transfer pricing policies in terms of the overall management fee being charged in the private equity space, any charges other than management services, investment management, such as certain services that might be provided to portfolio companies, private equity funds. All of those are being scrutinized with an eye towards making sure that investors are not being disadvantaged by these types of charges, that their returns are not being diluted. So it all comes down to transfer pricing, but not even necessarily any tax angle to it. It's making sure that the charges are at arm's length. That is really fascinating. I hadn't thought about that before. You may turn me into a financial services transfer pricing person after all. (laughs) All right. Mission accomplished. (laughs) I think we're always looking to convert new adapts. So it's great to have you on board. Well, you have to be so multilingual anyway, because you have to speak transfer pricing, then you have to speak these new language. And like something you said earlier, Sharif, that resonated with me is the financial services types will sniff you out very quickly if you don't speak their language and you don't understand what's going on. So yeah, yeah. I had those experiences early in my career. I don't like to remember them. <laughs> well, this has been such a pleasure, honestly. Thank you both so much for your time. Any kind of closing thoughts before we sign off? Be on the lookout for what's to come. We have IFRS 17 coming up for insurance company, which is going to be tangentially impacting our transfer prices, but also everything that's going on in the banking space. So lots coming up on our side, and it's going to be exciting to share more about that. Absolutely. And also, we have to add the ongoing work on BEPS 2.0 from the OECD and how individual countries are going to eventually adopt or not adopt those rules under Pillar 1, Pillar 2. Pillar 2 in particular could have significant implications for all financial firms. We provided an introduction of Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 in an earlier episode. Perhaps we should revisit more of the specific implications in a future one. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on this adventure in transfer pricing. See you next time.